celebrity is not all that it is cracked up to be. So just, just imagine this. You are sitting at home one evening, kicking back in your lazy boy, watching a little bit of television. Maybe you're watching the, the, the Great British Bake Off. That's what we're watching at home. And you're sitting there, maybe enjoying a nice glass of Diet Coke. And as you, you sit there, watching TV, watching the bakers scurry around to turn out pies and cakes and cookies and, and hard-to-pronounce pastries, you hear a noise. You hear a... What? What? And then all of a sudden, a rectangle of drywall falls down from your ceiling onto the living room floor. And through the dust and the insulation swirling around in the air, you see a man being lowered on a stretcher down into your living room through what you discover is a hole that goes all the way up through your roof. Now, now can you imagine a scenario that outlandish? Well, in today's story, Jesus did not have to imagine such a scenario because that is exactly what happens. So, so here's how it went down. Uh, Jesus had just returned to his home in Capernaum after a preaching tour through the region of Galilee. And word had spread far and wide about this guy who preached as one with great authority, who had the power to cast out demons and heal all sorts of different afflictions. And by the time he arrived back at his home in Capernaum, he was already quite the local celebrity. So when he, he got home, people just started gathering around his house to see what all the fuss was about. And Jesus, of course, being Jesus, he wasn't one to let them down, and he started preaching and teaching again with great authority and to everybody's amazement. Now, as the hours went by, this crowd got larger, and it got larger, and it got larger, until there was just a crush of people all around Jesus' house. And we need to remember, the house was about the size of this stage up here. It's a one-room house. So right, it couldn't accommodate a big group of people like this. It was just utter chaos there. So into what is already a fairly chaotic scene comes walking four men. And between them, they're, they're carrying a stretcher on which lays their friend who happens to be paralyzed. So these men are bringing their friend to Jesus in order for him to to heal their friend, restore his ability to walk. But when they get there and they see this big crush of people, they immediately recognize there is no way, there is no way that they're going to be able to push through this crowd and get up to Jesus. So they stop and they talk for a minute. And that is when genius strikes. It's either genius or background in breaking and entering. Because what they do is they go around back of Jesus' house, and then they climb up on the roof. Now, if you are actively imagining this, picturing this in your head, I do not want you to picture this roof like a, like a medieval cottage like you would find in England with a, a thatched roof. You know what I'm talking about? Do not picture it like that, because, because Israel is a desert climate. There's not enough grass to make a thatch roof like that. Instead, the way that roofs were constructed is you'd have a bunch of wood beams running across the top of your house. And then over top of that, you'd layer a bunch of branches. 
And then on top of that, you would put several layers of mud plaster. And when that mud dried, you'd have a solid, watertight roof. So that is to say that when these men were were on this roof, they couldn't simply pull apart the thatching and slip their friend inside. In order to get into Jesus, they literally had to hack a stretcher-sized hole into the roof and then lower him inside via rope. And that is exactly what they did. Like I said, celebrity is not all it's cracked up to be. Jesus has been famous for about a week, and already, already these are the kind of shenanigans that he has to deal with. But once the man is inside and he's at Jesus' feet, Jesus is not angry with these men for, you know, having destroyed his house. Instead, he is moved by their faith. Because you have to have a lot of faith to do something crazy like they just did. And after all of that faithful effort of carrying their friend to Jesus' house, hoisting him up on the roof, hacking a stretcher-sized hole in that roof, and then lowering him down by rope, after all of that faithful effort, Jesus looks down at this man and he says, Child, your sins are forgiven. That's it. No healing, no radical transformation, just, child, your sins are forgiven. Now, the scripture does not say that this man and his friends were disappointed by Jesus' response. And I imagine that is because human language could not convey the extent to which these men were disappointed and dissatisfied with Jesus' response. Because here is a guy who has been unable to walk for years, if not for his entire life. And if indeed he has been paralyzed for for his entire life, he does not have a family of his own. He can't even really contribute to his parents' household. And you have to remember this is first century Palestine. There are no wheelchairs. So he is utterly dependent on the people around him for his day-to-day survival. So after years of living at the mercy of other people, he heard about this healer who could indeed restore his ability to walk. He could could walk around like everybody else. And after what was an extraordinary effort, he managed to get in front of that supposed healer. That thing that he most desired in his life, it was right there. He could almost reach out and, and, and touch it. It was right there. But that supposed healer just looks down at him and says, Child, your sins are forgiven. Now, pardon my friends, but but you have to to believe that that guy was lying on the floor floor thinking, Thanks a freaking lot, Jesus. A lot of good that does for me. A lot of good that does. So the question in this text, the question in this story, is why is it that Jesus did not immediately grant this man the healing that he was obviously there for? Why does he first say, child, your sins are forgiven? And the answer to that, I believe, is that Jesus recognized that walking, much like celebrity, is not all it's cracked up to be. 
And that's a weird thing to say, so just to stick with me for a minute. There was a, this journalist down in New York City who wrote for the, the Village Voice. Uh, her name was Cynthia Heimel. And over the course of her very colorful career, she had the opportunity to see the rise of a number of celebrities. Uh, so that, that is, she got to meet them while they were washing dishes and, and busting tables. And she, then she got to see them as they rose to the very pinnacle of fame and success. So observing this of a number of people, this is what she had to say. I'm going to read it because it's a little bit long. But Cynthia Heimel, in the village voice, she writes this. I pity celebrities. No, I really do. Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, and Barbara Streisand were once perfectly pleasant human beings. But now, she writes, but now their wrath is awful. I think that when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then laughs merrily when you realize that you want to kill yourself. You see, Sly, Bruce, and Barbara, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed, and the morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, had happened, but they were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. So could it be, I wonder, that this paralyzed man had misdiagnosed the central problem, the central problem rather, of his life? And whereas Bruce and Sly and Barbara pinned all of their hopes on fame, he pinned all of his hopes on the ability to walk. He would fall asleep every night saying, everything would be okay. My life would be bearable. I would have fulfillment and contentment if only I could walk through this world on my own two feet. Could it be, I wonder, that Jesus recognized that this guy had a deeper problem than the inability to walk? And could it be that Jesus recognized that just giving him the ability to walk wouldn't bring him that contentment and that fulfillment that he was really looking for? And so before he heals him, he does get around to healing him, it needs to be said, but before he gets around to healing him, he reminds this man, this paralytic, of who he really is. Who he is before everything else. Before being a paralytic. Before being a friend. Before being a son to loving parents. Before being a Jew before being a, a subject to the Roman Empire, before everything else, Jesus takes a minute to remind this man of who he really is. And so he says, child, that is, child of God, you are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. That is who you are. You are a child of God, swaddled 
and God's gracious, merciful, forgiving love before everything else, that is who you are. And until you wrap your mind around that fact, and until you you center your heart in that grace, until you make that love the measure of your life, you're going to find that walking is not all that it's cracked up to be. You're going to find that celebrity is not all that it's cracked up to be. You're going to find that a white picket fence and 2.5 kids and a dog is not all that it's cracked up to be. You're going to find that that promotion at work that you've been angling for for years is not all that it's cracked up to be. You're going to find that that beamer that you have been coveting is not all that it's cracked up to be. You're going to find that that exercise gadget that you bought off of late night TV that promised you a firmer, rounder posterior in just minutes a day is not all that it's cracked up to be. And here's one for myself. You're going to find that that bathroom renovation that I've been working on for how many months is going on now is not all that it's cracked up to be. Until you, you recognize and center your life in this gracious, forgiving love of God, until you pin your hopes on that love, until you stake your life on that love, you're never going to find that, that deep soul contentment and fulfillment that we are all looking for. And so in closing, friends, I, I simply want to, to say to you this. Children of God, before everything else, know that you are loved, know that you are forgiven, and know that you are free. In Jesus' name. Amen.